today we are honored to have Tammy Herman. She has a powerful story of a miracle in her family that she is willing to dive into. It has to do with her third child who was miraculously healed from cancer. And we are so looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So Melissa at the time when she was diagnosed was was five years old. Oh, wow. That put Amy at eight years old and Derek at 12 years old. And so during that time, I'm trying to think that I was pregnant with my fourth child, Micah, and I was due in November. And so it just seemed like um, the whole, during that time in my life, I just remember we were very busy. There was a lot of chaos, a lot going on. We remodeling a home. My husband was working full-time nights at the post office. I had been doing daycare at my house and stuff, and we were just really, really busy, kind of. We were going to church, and we were serving God, and I was involved like in nursery and choir, all that basic stuff. My husband was working very much full-time, and we were running full-time business janitorial company at the same time. And so as our walk for God at that time, I felt like... We were very strong. We weren't really involved. We were coming to church, raising our kids, working our jobs, but not really so involved. Attending outreaches, just being the normal, you know, family. But there was a lot of struggles because of a lot of the jobs and stuff going on. And so during this time, we had moved to a new neighborhood. And I had prayed that, you know, for my kids to get into a specific school. And they were going to school. And it was right before Melissa was going to kindergarten. It was... It was her sign up to go to kindergarten and she had just this nagging cold like she had not been feeling good and and uh, she'd gotten her immunizations and so she thought we thought she was run down from that you know and and I just remember taking her and just you know she wasn't feeling very good and she got her kindergarten picture with her teacher and then she started school in August but um, as she started school she started just becoming very lethargic and falling asleep in school. And I just remember she'd come home from school and pass out. She was just sleeping all the time. And at the same time, the runny nose and the fevers and, and like, uh, you know, little girls, you know, she'd be hot at night and just um, throw the blankets off and just, just always like not feeling well. And I kept taking her back to the doctor going, something's not right, you know? And so we couldn't find anything. And we were like, okay, Three, three rounds of antibiotics later, I'm like, she's getting worse. I remember we went what, to the... What were they telling you it was? We didn't really know. They really didn't know. Um, we didn't know why she was... They just thought maybe wow. she caught a virus, but they weren't really sure. Okay. Just um, like kid stuff. Just like kid she's stuff. The runny nose, no yeah. ear infection. We couldn't really pinpoint it to anything, but she had lost a lot of weight. And so we're like, what? Something's going on. And We just couldn't pinpoint it. But as a mom, you know when something's Mm -hmm, not right with your kid. You just know. And I just remember this nagging, like, I need to check this out. Something. I just need to be persistent. I just remember I felt like God was telling me, be persistent. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I don't know. You know, I don't even know where to go. I'm just going to keep telling the doctor she's not getting better. She's not getting better. And finally, her, her kindergarten teacher called me. She says, and she was kind of like, you know, does she not go to bed at night? Cause she's not, <laughs> she's falling asleep in class. Like, oh you know, and she's like, she's a beautiful little girl. Are you sure you're not spoiling her? You know, she's like, <laughs> she's just, you know, it, uh, you know, are you letting her get away with stuff? She shouldn't be getting away with. Cause yeah. she just is out in class. She's out passed out on the desk. And I'm like, oh I was alarmed. I was like, Melissa was very like the child that was very easy to get along with. She Mm -hmm. was very quiet. She was the type of child that she just was um, being the third one. Amy did most of the talking for her. (laughs) She just followed along and did what she was supposed to do. She was a really easygoing baby. She would entertain herself. She was never kind of like, you know, at five years old, she was not being, you know, bratty or anything. It was totally contrary to how she would normally act right and I was like that's weird I mean she wouldn't be ignoring you I don't know why she's falling asleep we could go to church at night but you know they come home and go to bed you know and so I kept taking her to the doctor and said the teacher's now complaining because she's falling asleep in school she's getting behind she comes home from school and she passes out until like seven o'clock at night she's barely eating 
So they went ahead and gave her another round of antibiotics. By this time, I'm like, enough, enough with antibiotics. And I just started praying. It's like, God, something's not right. I don't know what it is. At the same time, remember, I'm eight months pregnant. Yeah, I was just going to say that's August, September. You're due in November. (laughs) I'm like eight months pregnant. We decided to go to the county fair. The county fair was on and stuff. (laughs) And so um, I'm really worried with Melissa at this point in time. So we take her to the fair and and uh, she rides like maybe one ride and passes out on a picnic table at the fair. It's oh cold out. Oh my goodness. We can't wake her up. I oh mentioned to one of my gosh. friends that was a nurse. I'm like, I don't know why she's doing this. I don't know what's going on, you know? And she's like, that is bizarre for a child to pass out at the fair. Right. So I went back again to the doctor. I noticed like her nose was getting worse. Like hmm. she started snoring at night, like super loud. And I was just like, that's weird. Maybe she has like tonsillitis or maybe her adenoids need to come out, you know, maybe. And so I asked the doctor, I'm like, she's snoring. But then when you take her to the doctor, she was breathing fine and had energy and everything seemed great. Like during the day, Melissa presented as being very fine, very well, not sick. But at nighttime, she was like snoring. And so finally, I'm like, I've had it. I'm calling the doctor in the middle of the night. So I call the doctor up and got the emergency line. I said, no, you give me the doctor. And I put the phone down so he, she can hear Melissa snoring and breathing and struggling and I had her laying on pillows to kind of help her to breathe because she literally was just like you can tell just struggling to breathe and it was waking her up and then she'd fall back to sleep and she seemed very like dark purple circles under her eyes which was telling me she wasn't really getting oxygen but we didn't know why you Mm -hmm. know and so she goes bring her to my office in the morning So I brought her to the office and Melissa at that time had really like this gorgeous long blonde hair all the way down to the middle of her back and it was really thick. And um, I remember going into the doctor's office and she flipped her blonde hair behind her shoulder and there was this huge mass on her neck. And that was the first realization that we finally something had presented. And the doctor was just like, oh my gosh. And I knew the second I saw that what it was. And so... um, I was just kind of like in shock and the doctor's like, we've got to do something like right now. And so she, this is where the first of the miracle began because, um, she wanted her to go see an ENT. And so the ENT that we had in town at that time didn't have a very good reputation. And I prayed, I said, God, I don't want her to go to that doctor. He'll miss it. I know we will. And it just so happened that doctor was on vacation that week. And so they, they sent us to see a doctor in Flagstaff. And so as we, we went to go there, and as we were going in altitude from Prescott to Flagstaff, her oxygen level dropped completely just because the altitude oh changed. So by the time we got her to the hospital over there, Ken had to carry her in. She, couldn't, she didn't have the strength to walk because of this mass had pressed so much on the inside. What we saw on the outside was only part of what was on the inside. And we had no idea. What was the size of that? Did they tell you what what was? It was the size. um, It was the size of a small, like orange. Yeah, a small orange on the side of a five-year-old's neck. It was so obvious. Wow. And I was like, "How did I miss this? I give her a bath every night. I comb her hair. It was not there when she went to bed that Mm -hmm. night. So it wasn't there. Grown. I comb her hair. Yeah, and it wasn't there. And then in the morning, you know." we were just headed to the doctor so quick. I never, I didn't see it until she flipped her hair back. And I was just in shock. I was like, oh my gosh, you don't have to tell me. And so we get to Flagstaff, we get her into the hospital, the doctor, um, his name is Dr. Daniel Downs in Flagstaff. And at the time we had no idea. And this is just such a miracle because we walk in there with her and, and one of my friends happens to be working the ER over there. And she's like, why did you let her get so bad before you brought her in? Like, she can't even walk. And I'm like, she wasn't like this. Yeah. Wow. It's the altitude We've been in the doctors you know? every like, week. And like, we have no idea. You know? What were the emotions that you were having on the way down there? I was really scared because I had been involved enough in the medical field to understand what that might be. Okay. And so I was, in my mind, I'm, I was thinking, why didn't we run blood tests? Why didn't we do... Mm-hmm something that would have caught a, a high white blood cell count or something. So I'm thinking all this stuff. And I knew my husband didn't really understand he, to him. It was just a swollen gland on the neck. But to me, it was like, mm-hmm. I, I feared the worst. 
I, I'd seen something like that before and I kind of had feared the worst and I was like still in shock that it was mm-hmm. even possible. But at the same time as holding on to hope, I was wrong. Right. Okay. I was like, I'm just, I'm over, you know, I'm overthinking this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking the worst case scenario. Right. And, you know, it was really hard for me, you know, and so even just just having to take her to Flagstaff and we was really grateful that God worked that out and we went there as soon as the doctor saw her I'm rambling on I'm like yeah she's not sleeping at night and she's snoring and I noticed the roof of her mouth is kind of caving in a little bit and I'm saying all these things that I noticed that the other doctor hadn't listened to me I'm like I noticed that her palate's kind of kind of sagging in and she's not eating and he's like he's like mom if you will just be quiet one second I think I can give you an answer and I was like okay and oh so I'm gosh. watching him and he's shaking his head and he's shaking his head. He's like, I don't believe this. And I'm like, and he's like, I can't even believe this. And I'm like, what? He goes, I think I know what this is. And I'm like, well, can you tell me? He goes, no, I'm not going to tell you yet. He goes, but you're going to the hospital right now. And he oh. goes, we're going to do an MRI and we're going to do a body scan on her. And I'm like, okay. So they admitted us to the hospital. They did the MRI and um, he came back out. And he was just like, um, he's like, I, I need to do a biopsy. And he showed us the pictures of the MRI. And you could see the mass on the inside of her neck. And, and it wasn't just in her neck, but it had gone up into her nasal passages. Oh so why she was having the running noses and stuff. So it took over both sides of her nasal passage and one side of her neck. Um, and he's like, I can't be sure, but I want to biopsy this. And I'm like, okay, but you're like an ENT. Like, who's going to do the biopsy? He was like, I'm going to. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know ENTs, you know, did this kind of thing. He goes, well, he goes, I specialize in cancer of the head and the neck. We had no idea. God put us exactly with the doctor that we had to be. And then on top of this, after the whole thing was done, he told us, he goes, I was writing a paper for like my practice on this very type of cancer. He goes, I was writing a, like a thesis on this very type of cancer. And he goes, and you walk into my office with it. And I knew it when I saw it. Wow. And I'm like, that was God. And I told him, I said, doctor, Dr. Daniel, you don't even understand that is God. She was supposed to go to this doctor and that doctor was on vacation. We end up with you. It's like, I really believe that God orchestrated her to be here, you know? And so, um, so we go in, he, he goes and biopsies and, and we're waiting and we're, we're, it's like a grueling hour, you know, and we're pacing and I can't sit cause I'm eight months pregnant and <laughs> not feeling great. And, and so, um, he finally comes out and he goes, well, he goes, I, I think this is what it is, but I'm not sure, but we're going to send it to like 15 different male clinics across the state, across the country and, um, see if we can all come up with a conclusive you know, agreement on what this is. He goes, but this is what I think it is. And I was like, okay, what is that? And he goes, well, I think it's a Burkett's lymphoma. And he goes, it's not very common at all. In fact, it's very, one of the rarest forms of childhood cancer. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm kind of shocked, you know, because it was cancer. And then I'm like, well, I don't understand what that is. He goes, well, what Burkett's lymphoma is, how she caught it, it, it's caught through a viral contact. Where so what happened was, she somehow caught, um, she caught like mono Mm -hmm. and from mono, she caught Epstein-Barr virus and from the Epstein-Barr virus, it mutated to this cancer. And so it's not seen in the United United States a lot. It's seen more in, in, um, third world countries. Right. It's not so much seen here. Like a very, if you look at the, the cancer pie where they have the different cancers Mm -hmm. in the slices and stuff, the Burkett's lymphoma is a very small part of the population it's not very common wow um but it's a blood disease of the lymphomes and so the thing with it is that it is one of the most aggressive types of cancer that you can have as far as once it gets into your lymph nodes it jumps from lymph node to lymph node till till it like you know what well, that explained the mass appearing yeah. overnight so the weird thing about melissa's which again i think was a miracle of god briquette's lymphoma does not ever hardly ever present itself in a neck it presents itself in the spleen so by the time a child is having pain or symptoms in its spleen that child only has like a two or three week lifeline two like, or three week yeah 
because wow. by the time they notice it and find it and have the symptoms, it's so aggressive. So Melissa, when she was diagnosed, she was stage two, which means it had crossed over on both sides of her body. So she was a stage, had a stage two. And so they said she had probably had it for six weeks. And they said that she wouldn't have made it another six weeks. Wow. So it was a miracle that he knew, right, what it was and that he was able to recognize it because we didn't really have time, you know. So to me, that was the that was the scary thing was like, you know, it's one thing hearing a malignancy. But then when you're hearing that, you know, the life expectancy and what it could have been. And I'm I was thanking God at the same time. But I was so terrified because did we catch it in time? Right. You know, and so. So back to the story where you said that that they were trying to get a conclusive diagnosis. So in during this time, was she in the hospital and there to stay? Yeah, she was. Um, actually, she was in Flagstaff and she stayed for five days in Flagstaff. They sent us home to pack up and get stuff done. She actually went to kindergarten for one day to see the kids at school and to take her school picture because we fully anticipated putting her back in school. We just, the doctor said, just live life as normal. Don't change anything. And so um, we took her to school, explained to the teacher. The teacher explained why Melissa wasn't going to be in school for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, we packed up and we went to Phoenix Children's. And so. So explain to me how do you, what, what was your kids' reactions to it? How did you let the other kids know or did you? Um, we didn't really tell the other kids because I didn't ever want to say the C word. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to validate or give validation that this was cancer I didn't want to believe it myself actually and I believed like saying what it was gave it more power and I didn't want to give it more power and I wanted to give God more power so our kids understood that she was sick Mm. and um Amy kind of like was like oh she's sick you know whatever Derek was the one who kind of figured it out and I just remember like him coming into the laundry room. He's 12 years old. And he just looked at me. He goes, Mom, she's really sick, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, does she have cancer? And I, and I just broke down. I'm like, yeah, she does, you know, but God is good. And he's like, he's like, she has cancer. And I'm like, yeah, she does. And he figured it out without us even saying it, you know. And so at that time, it became Derek's mission in life to be her almighty protector, you know. <laughs> so he um, became very close with her and very protective and stuff. And I just told him, I said, you know, we don't, we don't want everybody to know she has cancer. People have really weird reactions when you say you have cancer. And we don't want Melissa really being, you know, isolated mm-hmm. because of it, you know. And, and um, it, it will show in itself, you know. Mm-hmm. And so... That was really hard because how do you explain that, you know, to a 12 year old, you know? Yeah. And so Melissa didn't really understand to her. It was all about the perks, you know, (laughs) it was all about the special attention and the, Mm -hmm. the little, you know, people were like, Oh my gosh, Melissa, we love you so much and toys and, you know, Mm -hmm. blessing her and just loving her. She had a a lot of people that just really pulled up around us and stuff, you know? we ended up going to Phoenix and by the time we got to Phoenix they had all of the all the studies back from from the Mayo clinics and stuff and um, they did confer that that's what it was and so then they all worked together to make like a uh, she had to do chemotherapy to kind of you know get that all started so we ended up with a doctor who was an old Jewish doctor and um Dr. Barenko, he's no longer at Phoenix Children's, but um, we still see like his nurses and stuff down there. And we became really close with him. And so he, um, he took us in and he was very sweet and very good with Melissa, but didn't believe in God at all. You know, he's Jewish, totally Jewish. And so we just told him that we believe God's a miracle working God and, and we're going to pray for her. He's like, whatever, you know. <laughs> and so um, the night we were admitted, they they uh, pretty much just, they measured the tumor. They took like a marker and they marked around the perimeter of the outside of the tumor and measured it and took pictures and stuff. And then the next day they were going to start chemo. But that night they started um, prednisone, 
So they started prednisone to build up her white blood cell count so that she could handle the chemotherapy. Okay. And so the next morning, Dr. Branco came in and he brought a team with him because it's a teaching hospital. And um, before he came in uh, that night, um, we had called our pastor and stuff. We called Pastor Mitchell and, and um, let him know what was happening. Sharon Allen, we got a hold of them. And we said, uh, you know, Melissa's in the hospital and she has cancer. And they were like, Pastor Mitchell was like, what? You know? And um, I'm like, yeah, she's, they're doing surgery. They're starting chemo. And he was just like, they were all on the Israel trip. And so um, they were all praying for her and pulling for her. And we laid hands on her. He said, lay hands on her and pray. We laid hands on her and we prayed. And we, you know, bound fear. We bound sickness and disease. The next morning, um, Dr. Branco came in with his team. And he's all cheerful, and he's giving the history of this, you know, five-year-old little girl presenting with grapefruit size or, you know, orange-sized tumor on her neck. She's had it, you know, in her nasal, and, you know, biopsy shows blah, 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 blah. And he flips her blonde hair behind her, and all that's on her neck is the circle that was drawn. The tumor was gone. Oh, my God. The, oh my the goodness. tumor was totally gone. Her neck was totally flat, and he just kind of was like, kind of, um, Huh. Well, hmm. Well, and he asked me, he goes, and he kind of looked at me, he goes, where'd it go? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> I like, I don't it. know, Dr. Barranco, where did it go? You know? And I said, we prayed, we believe we laid hands on so her. So you hadn't noticed we it prayed. until that moment. I hadn't noticed it. I was there. as shocked as he was. So he's like, where did it go? I'm like, where did it go? <laughs> you know, we prayed, you know, I believe God. And I was like, I really believe God touched her. I knew it. So I was like so let's excited. talk about this moment for a second. Okay. He was so not into it. <laughs> you, you're with who? Who's in the room? My husband. Okay. So the night before you had called Pastor Mitchell. Yeah. He was in Israel? They were the team was in Israel. Yeah. So did, were you able to get a hold of him and yes, talk to him? Yes, we we sent like um we got a hold of Sharon Allen and Sharon okay. Allen, the door director, Sharon Allen were able to get a chain to believable. And yeah. then, so it's the next morning, um, he comes in, he's briefing everybody and Dr. Barenko, yeah, and flips her hair and the and it was stopped. just, all the students are like staring at her, like waiting to see, you know, yeah. their eyes are all big and they're all bending in with their notepads and pencil and <laughs> there is nothing there, but just the dark circle on her neck. Okay. So then what happens from there? Cause he's they're probably not believing his they're eyes. They're all looking at each other. We're looking at the doctor. Doctor's looking at me. And we're all just kind of like, you know, and he's like, where did it go? And I'm like, where did it go? I'm like, it's gone. I said, we laid hands on her and prayed for her last night. The students are all backing up against the wall. Oh, Dr. Branco's taking a step away from us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm like, no, I really believe, you know, I believe God answered our prayer. We had our pastors where we were praying all the way to Israel. They were praying, you know. <laughs> and so he just kind of shook his head. He goes, no, no, no. He said, they must have taken the tumor when they did the biopsy. And I said, well, Dr. Branco, if they would have taken the tumor during the biopsy, which was in Flagstaff, how did you draw a circle around it? And he just Roasted. was like held up his hand and he looked, shook his head and he left the room. And so he sent in another doctor, a female doctor, and um, the students all followed out really quickly behind <laughs> And he's shaking his head. She comes in. She goes, no, I understand how excited you could be. This seems like this would be good news. And I'm like, absolutely. I believe God healed her, you know. And she's like, well, honey, let me tell you something. She said, just because that disappeared, she goes, doesn't mean there isn't 100 million renegade cells in her body that can kill her. Oh, wow. And I just kind of looked at her and I said, well, where did the tumor go? She's like, I don't know, maybe maybe we started chemo early. I said, you absolutely did not. I said, you started prednisone. And so like, she's mm. like, well, I don't know. And then she just put up her hand. She goes, let me tell you, I've dealt with people like you before. And I want to tell you right now, if you decide that you want to walk out here and not do chemo, we'll file charges and we will take control and make you do chemo. Oh, and I said, I would never goodness. do that. I said, but I said, wouldn't it be more cost effective to just run a simple blood test and tell? or maybe do an MRI. Mm -hmm. She says, I refuse it. And so I was like, okay. She goes, we're starting chemo. And I said, that's fine. The God that healed her can keep her through chemo. And that was the last conversation I had with her. And so Dr. Branco came back in and they started chemo and she was on chemo um, for seven months. 
with it. But we believe God totally healed her. So I was like, okay, God. And they, they, um, it was still a mind battle though. Cause sure. it was like, I'm worried about the chemo. You know what I mean? Right. I believe God healed her, but why won't they believe me? Why won't they check? Why, you know? And so it, it kind of like, they made me feel like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you believe in God and that's good for you. Uh, I, I knew, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God healed her, but they were placing doubt and fear into my mind. And so it's like, I know I trust God, but it became a mind battle with me mm-hmm. because I trust God and I knew that he answered my prayer, but yet they were saying she was still sick. Sure. And so that caused like, not that I was date- doubting God, but I was just kind of like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And it really shook my faith. And so that began a, a like five month battle in my mind. And so it's like, okay, God, I'm, you know, I, I trust you. She's going to do chemo. And at the same time, I'm thinking, how am I going to do this and deliver in Prescott? And, you know, the insurance company was battling and they told me if, if I delivered in Phoenix, they wouldn't cover my, my birth. But at the same time, I'm living back and forth in Phoenix for six weeks. And so we were like, and at that time she was doing, um, injections. And so we would go down to Phoenix and she'd literally be there for like, like an hour or two. And then we'd come back to Prescott and then we'd have to go back the end of the week and go once she was out of the hospital. Then we, and then, um, God worked it out. I'm like, I, and I didn't even understand how, but I was like getting closer to my due date, going into preterm every time I came up and down the hill, you know, and just from the stress, I'm like, God, I don't know how you're going to work this out. I cannot, I can't go to Phoenix. We can't stay there. I have to stay here. So then my husband would have to take off work and, um, and work was really good. Like people gave up their sick leave so that at the post office so that my husband could take time off and I could stay home and he could take her. And so it so happened that we had a three week break with chemotherapy and I went into labor during that three week break. And so I got to stay home for the three weeks and then my husband took her cause we thought it was going to be a quick trip and they ended up keeping her for a 12 hour infusion. So the 12 hour infusion started and that became like, oh my gosh, you know, that was life changing because now it's like we're spending all day down in Phoenix. And so with a new baby, I'm, I'm making the commute with my kids going down there. Um, I'd leave in the morning and somebody would watch my kids, but then on Fridays there wasn't school. So I would try to schedule it, just take the kids with me because they'd give us a private room with a TV, you know, while she had her infusion. So they were happy. I would <laughs> sleep. They gave me a chair yeah. that I could just sleep, like be with the baby and fall asleep. And then they just, Melissa had her little chair next to me with her infusions, you know, and so they took really good care of us, but we're getting close to January now, you know, and, um, we were supposed to be doing infusions until May. We weren't supposed to get a yes or no um, about her progress until January. So it's January, you know, January conference around that time. We, I was not sleeping. I mm-hmm. was losing weight. I was like having uh, pregnancy complications. And I think it was the stress. And so, because I'm going, going, going all mm-hmm. the time, you know. And um I remember like I would get up in the middle of the night because I wasn't eating and I'd be starving. Mm -hmm. And so I'd get up in the middle of the night, I'd get a bowl of Cheerios or something. I'd be sitting on the couch and I would just argue with God and I would be sobbing and I'd be fighting. I'd be angry and I'd eat my Cheerios and I'd be mad. And then I'd I'd finally get tired and go back to bed. And this would become like a ritual. God would visit me. I'd get hungry. God would just start, you know, just touching my heart. And I, these thoughts, it's like, you just need to surrender. I'm like, you know, having this literal battle with God, it's like, surrender, I gave her to you. Like I stood in front of the whole church and we gave her to you, you know, and you're in control. And he's like, but you won't let her go. And it was just going back and forth. God, you know, but you made me her mom, you know, and, and he's like, but you need to surrender. I love her more than you do. I was like, how can you, you know? And I was just like, I don't want to let her go because she'll take her. I don't want you to take her. And this battle would go on for nights. And I'd get up and we'd start off again. And I'd be like, I'm not going to do this. And he's like, you just need to trust me. And so finally I was like, all right, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, listen here. I will do this. 
and I will praise your name no matter what the outcome is, God. You just take care of me. Like, no matter what happens with her, take care of my heart because I can't do it. And so I was like, if you take her, I'll praise you. If she lives, I'll praise you. And I had to come to like that agreement. And the second I came to that agreement, the peace, like, you know, they say the peace that just washes all over everything. I had never felt peace like that in my life. And it was like, he really did care. He really was there. And it was the most incredible piece. And I fell asleep for 12 hours. Like, <laughs> like the God. battle was over. And it was like, wow. but I remember him saying, I remember saying, God, I will testify every opportunity I get. I will testify. And he's like, I will bring that to you. You remember that. And so the weirdest thing started happening. <laughs> it was like, I was like, okay. And, you know, I told my husband, this is what happened. And, and I believe God just really helped me and, and it was a battle and he could tell my husband could tell there was a struggle just because it was really hard for me. I was super protective. I was like, you know, I didn't want to talk about it. I was in denial. The women in church had like Melissa had lost all her hair and that was very traumatic. We went and got her a haircut and tried to play it up and got her a cute little dress and a cute little hat. And then, you know, the day came, she pulls off the hat and her hair is in the hat and it's just falling to the floor and my heart is broken because my beautiful blonde haired baby lost all her hair. And, um, but even in that, God was just like, she kept some bangs and she never lost her eyebrows and she never lost her eyelashes and like just the little things, you know, it was like, God was just like, you know, things that you don't think matter. But it was right. like, I see that, God. I, I saw that you did that. What a miracle. And the doctors was like, she even has her eyebrows. She even has the longest eyelashes ever. And I'm like, I know, God is good. You know, she has these eyelashes. And so the women in the church all got together and bought her a wig and of long blonde hair. And she was just so happy. She wore her wig everywhere. And, and so one day we're shopping and we're in the grocery store. You know, when I decided we were in the grocery store shopping and she's wearing her little wig and uh, she looks absolutely adorable, but I'm like absolutely tired at this point with a newborn baby and, and my five-year-old, you know, and um, I'm going through the grocery store and I'm noticing there's this lady kind of like at the end of the aisle and she's looking at me and I'm like, turn my basket around and I walk away and go to another aisle and she's down that aisle again and I'm just like... I turn around and she's like next to me and I'm just like, God, I don't have the patience for this. Like I am tired. And that word came back to me. I will testify to everybody when I get the chance. And I was like, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. If she approaches me, I'll, I'll do it, but I don't want to, you know, but I'll do it. And so sure enough, I'm headed out through the checkout line. This girl's behind me. And all of a sudden she rushes past me and she holds the door open so I can get my cart out and she reaches and grabs Melissa's hair and runs her hands through her hair and she just looked at me and she goes your daughter has cancer doesn't she and I just like looked at her and the look on my face must have been like I was slapped so right. I just turned and looked at her and and in my mind I'm like be nice be nice be nice don't hit don't, don't hit. hit her yeah <laughs> be nice and so I just looked at her and I just was like, yes, she does have cancer. And she just, this girl looks at me, she goes, is she going to be okay? And I said, yes, I believe she's going to be perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden this girl just started weeping and sobbing and crying. And pretty soon I'm holding her. She's in my <laughs> arms and I'm, I'm like, really, we're okay. I mean, we're going to do good. You know, God has done a miracle in her and she's going to do great. And she looked at me and I said, and she goes, you don't understand. And I said, what? And she's like, I'm 24 years old and I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was like, oh, I am so sorry. I said, you know what? The God that healed my daughter is the same God that will heal you. And I just cried with her. And I said, you know, can I pray for you? And she's like, yes. And so I just, you know, I, right there in the parking lot, I put my arms around her. She's holding Melissa, you know. Oh, my gosh. And um, I'm just like, you know what, God, I really believe that you would touch this young woman and that you would just, I led her in a sinner's prayer and then just prayed for healing. And, you know, I said, you know, I... I really believe God touched your body, you know, 
And I said, I'd love to see you again, but I understand, you know, let me know, keep in touch, whatever. Mm-hmm. I never heard from her again that day, but I really feel that that was an appointed time. Oh, for sure. That God, God did that. And it, it wasn't as much for her as it was for me. Mm-hmm. Like God wanted to see if I would be faithful, if I was truthful to what I said I would do. And, um, that scenario happened three other times. Oh my goodness. Three other times. God was faithful to bring people. One of them was a neighbor. I didn't even know her husband was a fireman. And, and, uh, she just saw me like in the neighborhood and she's like, wow, Melissa's hair is beautiful. And I'm like, thank you. You know, she's playing with her hair. She goes, I've never felt hair like this before. I know it's really cool, isn't it? It's beautiful. And then she's just, and Melissa's giggling because she knows. She's right. Like, she's like, <laughs> she's all like covering her mouth and giggling and laughing at me. And she's like, I've never felt hair like this. It's like Barbie doll hair. And Melissa's laughing, laughing. I go, it's a wig. <laughs> and she's like, this girl, Julie. She's like, what? Julie, it's a wig. She's like, what? I go, yeah, she, she doesn't have hair. She has cancer. And, and so she's wearing a wig and she was like, oh my gosh. And she just looked at me. She goes, I had no idea. I'm your neighbor. And I had no idea. And then she proceeded to tell me that she was diagnosed with a different type of cancer in her body. And I was like, Julie, God can heal you. God is healing Melissa and she's doing great. You know, as you can tell, she looks healthy. So, so time and time again, God was really faithful to bring opportunities for me to witness to people through this, which I soon learned was not, you know, when you witness to somebody about what God has done for you, it helps the person that you're witnessing to because God's word goes forth, but it also brings encouragement to your own soul, you know, right. because it's, it's retelling that miracle that, and the more you repeat the miracle, the more it's ingrained into you and it brings hope and it brings peace. And so during certain strategic times, God was faithful to bring a person, you know, when I was doubting that would remind me of what God was doing and, you know, what it was finished. So around that time, we were getting close to January conference and I would go to the doctors and say, do we know, you know, when, when are we going to know when we're out of the clear with this? Right. I, I totally believed God had healed her, but at the same time, they were making me feel like these renegade cancer cells were overtaking her body. Mm-hmm. But what I saw was health. And I didn't see any effects besides the losing of hair. She'd gone through, you know, the baby had gotten RSV. And Melissa didn't catch RSV. And wow. the other kids had things happening and Melissa never got sick. And they said she would start losing muscle tone from the chemotherapy and, and start walking funny or have dropping things or just, you know, side effects from the chemo throwing up and stuff. And Melissa did not ever get that. She only threw up like one time the very last round of chemo we had. So the biggest symptom that she had from the chemo was just her hair loss. Her hair loss. And she got this incredible round, cherubic, chubby face from the prednisone because it packs <laughs> weight on you. Right. And you start craving things like hot dogs, anything <laughs> salty. Like the child had never had a hot dog in her life. And all of a sudden she wanted hot dogs. You're like, you get whatever you want. I was like, I am a mom that don't feed my kid hot dogs. You know? <laughs> if baby wants a hot dog, she can have a hot dog if right. that's what it'll take for her to eat. And she's like... I want a hot dog. I want a corn dog. I want, and she just packed on this weight. So she was very chubby. And wow. Very cute. Which you'd probably almost rather that than her be really yeah, thin. Yeah, she had the been chemo. so thin. I didn't realize how thin she was because Amy was always a lot smaller than Melissa. Mm-hmm. So when Amy started school, she, she only weighed like, you know, 40 pounds, 50 pounds. And then Melissa was only like 32 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that was Melissa. Right. At five years old, not realizing that she's really bigger boned than Amy and stuff. And so to me, I just thought she's just very petite. Right. You know, I didn't know any difference, which is just kind of funny, but I would have never thought that. Like, I didn't realize, you know, Mm -hmm. the difference. And I was like, oh, my gosh, when she started kindergarten, she was like really little. Yeah. You know, she was still in her car seat and everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We were scheduled to have infusions and rounds until May. And so the halfway point was going to be in January. We'd gone to Pastor Pastor Mitchell and Pastor Greg, asked for prayer because, again, I was being tormented, and we just wanted to know. It's The hospital wasn't giving us information yet, and I would go to the visits and say, do we know yet? When are we going to do some more scans to find out, you know, is this going away or not, or, you know, what's happening? And so they were kept saying, well, we're not ready yet to do the scans. We're not. So we went and prayed 
like a week after conference, we were back down for her infusion and they went ahead and scheduled all her MRIs and all her lab work and stuff. And her blood tests were coming back great. Like Mm -hmm. everything looked really, really great. She never had to have any blood transfusions or anything like that, which was really, really good. But we just wanted to know if this cancer is going away. We would have to endure not so much us half. It's painful to watch your child go through. They would have to do spinal taps where they would have to. But you, I would have to hold her in a C so that her back was raised so they can do the spinal tap into her spine. And they would give her a morphine, but she was allergic to the morphine. So then they would only have to give her Versed. So she'd have to do it with just the Versed, hoping that she didn't remember it. But no child likes to be squeezed, and it's really hard to hold them for that. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd have to go through that, and then after every time I would cry, and she would cry. But one kind of funny side note was when Dr. Barranco was doing it one time, he had given her the morphine, and we didn't know she was allergic to morphine, and she started hallucinating. <laughs> and she would look at Dr. Branco. She's like, you have five eyes. And she just always saw the funniness, you know, and she's like, you have five eyes, Dr. Branco, and you look really funny, you know. And we would just be like crying, laughing, because, but she was so out of her head, you know. And so every time we went, we had to do the spinal taps, and then we had to do the infusions. And it was you know, because where her tumor was, was so close to her brain that they wanted to make sure that it didn't invade her spine and go into her brain. So it was a little bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it's kind of horrifying every time you go. I mean, you finally get used to it. You get into a routine where we'd have to put these little Emila patches on her arms to numb her arms for the IVs and stuff. We'd put the patches on. We'd head to Phoenix before they were absorbed so they can rip the patches off and put the IVs in so that she wouldn't feel it. And so the procedures all started the morning before we would get there. So we'd have to get up at 4.30 in the morning to start the patches to get to Phoenix and to get get her in her infusion by 8 o'clock. So we finally get scheduled the MRIs down in Phoenix um, about the third week in January. And um, we were waiting and waiting and waiting. Phoenix Children is really good. They'll do their tests, and then immediately you get results. Like, you don't leave the hospital till you get results, but you just have to wait at the hospital for them. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting, and we're waiting, and waiting, and Dr. Branco finally comes back, and he's got this giant smile on his face, and he's like, she is doing so well. Like, we don't even see the tumor, which I knew wasn't there, remember, because it disappeared. Say. But. He says her, her body looks great. We're not seeing any invasions into her spine. There's nothing. There's no sign of it. Brain's clear. Everything's good. But we still have to continue with our therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and so I'm like, okay. And so we continued and um, just kept going for the the 12-hour infusions. The good thing about the 12-hour infusions is we were now every, every three weeks, We'd have, we'd have the 12 hour infusion, but every two weeks we'd have the infusions of prednisone. So she's on a regimen of prednisone and then Vic, Vin Christine and, um, other chemo drugs and stuff. So it's like every other week we're doing something, you know? Right. Right. So we finally arrive at our last appointment and, um, it was in, in May 2nd, which was actually my birthday. Her on my birthday, she May was 2nd. declared completely cancer free and got to ring the bell. And so she was six years old, May 2nd. So it's like the best birthday present I ever got. Oh you know, my god. She was completely cancer free and we never had to come back again. We only had to do like um we did a three month check and then, mm-hmm. you know, you do a six month check and then a yearly check and then that was it. We were done. Like God did a total miracle. It amazes me. I'm thinking back to the beginning where you said, okay, this is, it's super rare and super aggressive. And at that point she had had it, they think for six weeks Mm -hmm. and she wouldn't have made it another six weeks. So it's a cancer that kills, it essentially can kill you in three months. Right. And you catch it right in the beginning. God does a miracle. And then from... October, you said, right? October, October until to May. May. Aggressively getting, attacking it. And then she'd never have to deal with it ever again. No. And today she's how old? Yeah, One she's going to be 29 this year. And the miracle with her is that, um, you know, she's pastoring now. Her and her husband are pastoring and she has three miracle babies. They had told mm-hmm. her from the chemotherapy that 
that, you know, she probably would never be able to have children. She'd have difficulty having children. If she ever was able to have children, it would be a miracle. And we just, from the time we heard that, we bound that and we prayed and took it towards God and they prayed and God blessed them with Azariah. And now they have Nora and now they have Aniah. But God just did a miracle in her life and she's just serving God. We mm-hmm. always, you know, I always knew that there was, there had to be something special. Mm-hmm. I knew that God, you know, that, that scripture is Jeremiah 29, is it 11? Mm-hmm. You know, for I have the plans that I know for you. And then I would always quote the one, it's like, God put you in, in your womb. I knew you, I saw you in your mm-hmm. mother's womb mm-hmm. and I created you. And, and it's like, I would always tell Melissa that it's like, God has a reason for you because this is just the weirdest things that mm-hmm. happen to you. And God has a special plan for your life. And, you know, I, I would just use, I remember just praying, it's like, God, let her grow up to know her brother. Let her grow up to know her family. I want to see her walk down the aisle. I want to see her have her first baby, you know, give all these things to her. And God has just blessed her. God has blessed us, you know. Wow. The thing that stood out to me was, um, whose report are you going to believe? Right. Because the fact that the doctor didn't believe it and then you had someone come in there and just challenge your miracle that was right before your eyes mm-hmm. that I've, you know, I've dealt with people like you yeah. before. I mean, what an assault on your faith, but it's like just choosing to still like hang on to your miracle and trust that God does care about us and he does intervene. And I just think it's like, it's to me, that's so encouraging that like, yeah that that there is a different report that we are believing and it's it's that Christ can do miracles and he does care about us and he loves us and not everything that we see is on the outside God does so much that we don't see that you don't see till the end there are so many things that we didn't the pieces did not come together right the one great thing my doctor said is he said do not google this (laughs) he said do not absolutely Mm. do not look on the internet and I made a promise to myself and God I would not google this because that is so not me I just like want to know every medical thing possible I want to find the cure you know sure and I was like I'm not going to do this because I'm not going to have my faith shattered and I wanted to protect it and I didn't Mm want to know I just wanted God to worry about it and that was part of my surrender was not like hanging it up and finding out what it could be years later I looked it up (laughs) And I was just like, God, you are so amazing with what you did. You know, not a lot of kids survive this. If it's caught, a lot of times, like I said, it's, it's, you're almost on your way out. You want her to have to battle her whole life. I wanted God to just heal it and be complete. And she goes on and it's part of her testimony. Mm -hmm. But part of it was that it wasn't just for Melissa. It was also for me. Like for Ken and I, it like, Ken was kind of like at that time, like I said, thrown himself into work and our business and stuff and just really kind of you know what I mean it really rebuilt his faith and it really stopped him in his tracks and it's like life became very real life became more than working the job life became more than the money the house everything life became like a reality that we could lose somebody you know and and that we really need God to help us because we that we can't we don't have the answer for this right Mm -hmm. we can fix a lot of things as moms we can put the band-aids on you know, we can cover a lot and stuff, but we can't fix something like that. We have mm-hmm. to take it to God because if you don't take it to God, you don't have any hope and it will destroy you. And so just the doubt alone and just the isolation that, you know, there were people that didn't understand it. You know, that we had a lot of people that support us, but we had a lot of friends that were scared at the same time, didn't know how to handle sure. it. And so it's like without God and without there was there was pillars in the church betty bronson her arms held me up many times you know and it was you know the meals people brought and just the encouraging words it's like i don't know how people do it without jesus in a fellowship of people that love you yeah you know my family was so stunned they didn't know what to do you know and so just having a fellowship of people and hearing testimonies the testimonies of other people that I knew that had gotten healed. It may not have been of cancer, but it could have been of other things, you know, Mm. and God did a miracle and just those kinds of things are what keep you going. And so when I promised God those many years ago and was arguing on the couch in the dark with my bowl of Cheerios and banana sobbing and just fighting and not wanting to surrender. When I made that promise that I would tell and have an opportunity, Mm. I, 
when you guys asked me, I was like, wow, God, here you are. Wow. <laughs> and see, so it was like, is... I cannot say no. Yeah. And it was like, you are so good. Cause at, at this time in my life, I'm building my faith again. I'm rebuilding mm. my faith because so that's why I was really excited when you guys asked mm. me to come. Cause it was like another opportunity yes. to give God the glory for what he did. Yes. You know, what is it? 25 almost years ago mm. you know and that's that's what we want this podcast to all to be about is is um is for people who might be in the thick of it right now to be able to listen to something and their faith to be stirred mm-hmm. because there's so many naysayers like like that doctor you know there's so many people who are so ready to shut your faith down and be like well but i don't know i don't you know and we already have the inner critic inside of us, that's right, including yeah. myself. And so that's why I was so excited to have you on. Um, I was so excited at how fast you said yes. And now I understand why. <laughs> <I was like, laughs> because you made like, that Whoa. commitment. <laughs> yeah. So I thank you so much for coming on and being our very first guest. How exciting. I'm really excited for this. Yeah, me too. Me too. And um, so I appreciate that. And. Any, any final words, Ray? The one thing, it just keeps coming back to me. It's funny that, you know, we can be stubborn or whatever. Is like, you're going through this incredible thing, so I don't want to minimize that. But, you know, like, it's funny because God could have been like, fine, you don't want to trust me? I showed you this. I'm working. I'm fighting for your daughter. You stay in your place and be sad and eat your Cheerios, bl- eat your Cheerios <laughs> and I'll go do something else, you know? But he didn't. He's faithful. He, yeah, he faithfully came to you and you know you're you're having this battle and he's letting you like I just have this picture like he's letting you and he's challenging you but he's like just I'm right there. I'm right yeah. there, you know? And then as soon as he fought for your peace, you know? Mm-hmm. Like for your sanity and for all of these things and he could have, you know, I just think of it it's like he could leave us like that and say, "Hey, I'll still heal, heal your daughter. I already showed you the miracle. I don't know what you're complaining." You know, he you can all these things like of us humans like how we would respond you know like fine whatever but he fought like not only for melissa but he fought for you well it was amazing it was like an issue surrender is such an issue with pride you know and so that's what it basically was it's like i gave her to you and you're not supposed to ask for her back you know and i can be a better mommy than you can and it was like god was like no you don't understand you know it's like i love her more than you do and so it was like just to lower my pride and to trust. And so that was something mm-hmm. And God, I didn't realize I had a hard time trusting God. And when God comes back and says, Hey, what about this that I did for you? We don't realize that we have, I didn't realize that was in my personality and that I was so like prideful. And, and that's basically what it was. And God had to really bring me down to see, bring it to a raw place, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and when he did, that's when the peace, you know, and I, I had to like repent for being that way. It's like, it is true. You created her. You gave her to me. Honestly, she's yours. You gave her to me. You trusted her with me and I should trust you. And when I finally did, it was like, just, I could take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was so heavy. I can't even explain how heavy that was, but it was such a weight. I was carrying the world. Mm-hmm. I felt like her whole care and everything was on me. All depended on me. But at the same time, I felt like I couldn't do it anymore and I was failing. And that's not what God wanted me to see. It, it wasn't about me. It was about him. He was the one doing the healing. It wasn't my, my works that she was going to get healed or my tears or my, you know, anything that I could do just being a mom. Nothing I could do could heal her. It had to be God's grace. And that's what God wanted to show me. It's like, just let God be God. And I had to do that. So it was really, you know, looking back on it, it's just, it's really cool looking back that's on it. That's super cool. Yeah. I love it. Very good. Well, thank you, Tammy, for coming. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'm excited for all the lives this is going to impact. Oh, I pray so. Thank you.